right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. that. You don't got time that. Right? Let's go. Crank it. Crank it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on KLWN 3 o'clock hour with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. We are going to scoot over to Hawk Talk at 6 o'clock, and then we've got High School Sports Weekly at 7 o'clock, and uh, that'll be airing live, or we'll be doing it live, the show, out of Burgers by Biggs at 6 o'clock, but it's going to air on KLWN at 7 o'clock. So highly recommend coming out to Burgers by Biggs, whether it's tonight or any other day during the week. Tell them that uh, we sent you at KLWN. NFL Sundays are only getting better, and so are the incredible offers at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Right now, new customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. No line out yet for the Kansas Southern Utah game tomorrow night. That'll be out, I would assume, either late tonight or tomorrow morning, but still the line for the Kansas-Texas game on Saturday is Kansas plus 9 plus 270 on the money line. You also get Kansas at plus 5.5 in the first half of the game. Okay. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code KLWN and place a $5 pregame money line bet to get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Only a DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL with code KLWN. Gambling problem? Getting help is your best bet. Call 800-522-4700. 21 and older, physically present in Kansas. Bonus issued is free bets. One boost per eligible game. Opt-in required. 10-plus leg required for 100% boost. Deposit, parlay, and wagering restrictions apply. Eligibility and terms at sportsbook.draftkings.com slash football terms. Uh, before we get into some KU football talk here, by the way, did you see that game last night, Texas and, and Gonzaga? I, I did not actually watch it, but I did see the score. Mm-hmm. Uh, Texas with a big win. and that makes it, Maybe uh, the Gonzaga athletic director is calling up Brett Yormark today and saying, <laughs> hey, uh, actually, we kind of like playing San right? Francisco. And, uh, yeah, they're like, we don't want... <laughs> well, well, supposedly the rumor was that, I forget who reported on this, so I'm, I'm sorry, it might have been like Brett McBurphy or something, that... Uh, the the Gonzaga AD was were in Austin, in Austin yes. just talk with Brett Yormark. Yes. And, yeah, I wonder if he was just like, you know what? Actually, second thought, on second thought. Like pulls the Homer like, Simpson gift where he's going back <laughs> into the bush. We like we like playing Pacific twice a <laughs> yeah. year. We, we like playing whatever the, whatever the hell, Utah or whatever. Yeah. Well, Texas is the new number one team on Ken Palm. Um, Gonzaga dropped to four, which I feel like that's the lowest I've seen him in like three years. Um, <laughs> I, I have two th- Kentucky at two, though, by the way. Did you I that? know. Wild. I have, well, Kentucky plays Gonzaga, so we'll see how that goes. Um, okay. I have a couple interesting takeaways from this game. One, that new arena for Texas is perfect. Cool. It yeah. is lively. That's it cool. is, they are right on top of you. They made so so much noise out there. It's actually like a legit basketball uh, advantage now. Experience, yeah. yes, yeah. Uh, for them. Number two, I don't think Gonzaga is that good. Like, They'll still, you know, they'll go eighteen and zero in the WCC, and they'll end up as like a two seed or something like that. But if they if they lose, you don't think the they're going to be a one seed? No, because what they've done in the past is that 
you know, they're they're going to play a loaded non-con and they win all of them but like one game, right? Or two games. This year I think they could have like three or four losses. And if you don't have the big wins that you've had in the past where it's like um you know, maybe you beat Duke in I mean, the past. They, yeah, or, they beat Kansas right? last year. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Or, or two years ago, uh, where you have that in your back pocket. If you lose all these games, like I think they're going to lose to Kentucky on Saturday. If you lose to Texas, and and then eventually you lose some of that doubt that they'll still get a high seed, but like maybe they'll be a two or a three seed instead. Hmm. Um, so I I think they're not nearly as good. Now that doesn't mean they can't go on a deep run in March because crazy things happen. But Texas is uh, they're living up to the billing. Are they, they legit? Oh my gosh, the the athleticism that they have, uh, the 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 young freshmen. So they have the two young freshmen like Artario Morris, who's really good, and then they have uh, the the Dylan Mitchell kid or whatever. That kid has like a forty five inch. That kid is so much fun to watch. He reminds me a little bit of Josh Jackson, honestly, with just his like ups and being able to play as kind of a stretch for I, just uh, unbelievable. I, Texas is really good, man. And if Tyrese Hunter, that's the thing. They made like every shot, so I don't know how repeatable that is. But if they can make shots like that, they're going to be maybe the best team in the country. And if Tyrese Hunter shoots like that, he's the national player of the year candidate. So I was really impressed with Texas. Not so impressed with Gonzaga, but uh, Big Twelve should be really good. Okay. KU football talk, our weekly KU quarterback talk. We've had to do oh, this yeah. every week, really, since Jalen Daniels got injured. <laughs> um, there sitting, was sitting by the campfire talking KU KU quarterbacks. Yeah, there was a question to Lance Leipold, uh, his media availability uh, about kind of the quarterback position and the progression of of Jalen Daniels and where he's at and and how he's trending and all those things. Uh, I, I figured we would just play that audio for you so we can kind of pick it apart here. Here's here's what Lance Leipold had to say earlier this week. You know he's taking more and more reps. He he went today. Uh, you know I'm you know kind of where he's at the point where he can do the you know um, play at a level that uh, that is going to allow him to go out there and play freely and and to a point is he ever going to be a hundred percent like he was at the beginning? No, but um, where is that at? And it's it's a, if it's not a daily conversation, it's it's every other day as, as we talk and, and, and look at it. And if you're watching them in warmups, you can see it's, you know, it's, it's really, really close, but there's a lot of factors that, that continue to go into that. And that's the best way to say it. And, um, you know, I hoping that, that, you know, we're, we got two regular seasons game left. So hopefully he's going to be, he's going to be able to be out there for one or two of them. Okay. So certainly some interesting comments there. Hoping he's going to be out there for one or two of them, right? That makes it seem like uh, he said he's, he's trending the right direction. He practiced. He went. All these things that it continues to trend that way. I know Bryson Stricker reported earlier this week that Daniels is back. Um, Jalen Daniels tweeted, pack the booth. There were no quarterback. I, I don't know if you make anything of this. There were no quarterbacks at media availability this week, which yeah, that was kind of interesting. That's kind that, of been the tell. That the yeah. Past- month or so we 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 kind of talked about during the show like is it just media warfare of the coaches just putting a quarterback out there this and then feels it's someone like else? this feels like media warfare. this could be but yeah in the past weeks it is it has been the true true tell of of which the quarterback has been and we didn't get either quarterback this week or i guess any with with ethan vasco either um so it seems like to me like everything is pointing to Jalen daniels coming back are you expecting him to come back i i think so yes i guess well, Maybe what you could extrapolate from the comments from Lance Leipold is like what we've been talking about a lot, which is if if Jalen's not a hundred percent, what if he's like ninety percent? Are you playing him if he's ninety percent? 
Like, like what? I guess I mean it's so silly right. to say like what right. percentage because the doctor this is a human, doesn't actually like human. evaluate someone yeah. and be like, yeah, you're ninety three point two percent today. Like this is a human being. There's right, obviously right. we can't we can't boil it down to like, oh, well, he's seventy eight percent healthy. <laughs> yeah, but like I guess I, I don't know. Like how how good would he need to be feeling if he's not fully one hundred percent for you to start? Well, I definitely thought the part that he mentioned there about. Um, that he he probably won't ever be a hundred percent again the rest of this season is probably pretty telling that we're not going to get to that point. And so at this point, it's about as good as it'll get. Is kind of how I took that. I'm, ass- I'm assuming Jalen starts against Texas or plays against Texas. I would urge uh, cautious cautious optimism. I would urge cautious optimism with Jalen because I mean we haven't seen him now in oh in what six weeks seven weeks. I mean, how likely is it that he's just going to roll out there and be week three Jalen, right? Well, I mean, like, couldn't I, you I, say? I don't know. That's, that's why I'm saying. I'm, I'm urging cautious optimism. Like, I would be, I'm excited about it, obviously, but I don't want people to just have these outrageous expectations that he's just going to come back and KU's going to put up 50 points, whatever, and he's going to be amazing, right? Like, that's what I would urge against. That, that's not to say that I don't think he will be good when he comes back. Because I don't think there's any question that he gives you the best chance to win, right? Like over over Jason Bean, what we've outlined. When it comes to Jalen Daniels, assuming he plays, the two biggest things to keep an eye on are the option game. Is it going to be more effective than it has been with Jalen or with Jason? We assume that's the case. And two turnovers. Jason Bean has had some turnover problems over the course of his four four starts, four starts, four start four and a half starts. Yeah. No, wait, I think it'd be, yeah, yeah, four starts. Okay, I was having trouble plus with the math half, there, too, because the half, half game at TCU, yeah. So four starts and a, and a half, yeah. Okay, yeah. So those are the two that, Those are the two things that we have pretty much highlighted every single week of where we think Jalen is better than Jason, which is the option game and maybe protecting the football or taking less risks. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so assuming Jalen's back, those are the two things to keep an eye on. Yes, and I agree with that. I, I Here's my question to you. Is your cautious that- optimism... If it is not 100% Jalen Daniels, do you still think that is better than Jason Bean? Because all those things we just talked about, about him being better, were under the assumption of the 100% Jalen Daniels. I know. I know. Especially with, like, the option game, right? Like, if you got a Jalen Daniels out there who's like, a How bit, many hits can you take? Yeah, he's a bit nervous about taking hits, or he doesn't feel as confident in his ability to run in the open field or whatever. I don't know. But I, I am hard-pressed to still—I still think it would be more effective in the option game because— I mean, listen, I, I'm not trying to just throw Jason Bean under the bus here, but it it true, especially against Texas Tech, it truly felt like every option play they ran, he made the complete opposite read of what would have been the right read. <laughs> like, like I'm I'm sorry, I'm not I'm not trying to be mean or anything. It, it, that's just what it felt like to me. Now, I'm not I don't want to be an armchair quarterback guy and be like, oh, well, he should have handed it off. Oh, he should have kept it. I'm just saying, like, from from the big picture perspective, it just the option game's not as good. Period. That, that's all there is to it. And even if Jalen is nervous about getting hit or whatever, I think with his vision and what he can bring, you would think it still would be a little bit better. I think I agree with you. And uh, the fact that he, that Lance Leibel kind of said, yeah, it's it's not going to be back to 100% basically at some point this season makes me think, okay, you just kind of ripped the Band-Aid off at that point. Um, but, I mean, I think Texas, I think KU could still easily have a chance to beat Texas mm-hmm. if Jason Bean starts. Yes, I agree with that, but I still think it's better with Jalen Daniels. Yes. And, and your point about him 
You know, like, is he going to be rusty? Is it going to be as clean as it was early in the season with him coming? Probably not 100% where it was, but also this is a guy who I, I guess he did come in for the final, like, two quarters or whatever it was, three quarters against Kansas State before he had the Texas start last year, but he didn't play in any of the first, whatever that was, like yeah. eight games last year, yeah. and then he started against Texas, or, or, yeah, against Texas and had that big game. So I, I think that it's not like he's he's just going to be coming from Hey, I've been sitting on my couch for four weeks, no, and now yeah. you know he's been practicing and stuff. <laughs> and I know that's not what you're saying. I just, I, I have confidence that's that's going to be the case. Um, okay. Yeah, I, I think so. I think so too. And yeah, I, I think with with him starting, you definitely have a better chance against Texas, even if he's not fully 100. percent Yeah. I, like I know I've had the opinion for a long time of don't play him unless he's 100. percent At this stage of the season, if he's 90. percent I think you roll him out there, right? Well, and I think the the whole discussion of what percent is he at, you know, how healthy is he, is more about is it going to do worse damage if he yeah, takes a hit to it, right? Yeah. If it's something where it's just like he's, he's, he's just not going to be 100%, yes, but he, he's going to have to play through it, but it's not going to get worse, then you roll with it, right? Yeah. Um, I do think even if it is, the question to me with that injury is are you going to sail some throws now? Are you going to not have as much confidence in your arm? Are you going to be willing to take hits? And does that impact at all, like how you do run the option and, and some of those things? That's the big question. Because if it if it's if it's ninety percent where he's maybe just not as athletically good or can't throw it, you know, quite as fast or quite as far, you can deal with that. If it has an effect on how KU can play and how he wants to play when he's at his best, that's where the problem comes in and you stick with Jason Bean. So what if he starts is really bad for like the first quarter or so or, or first half? Would you go to Jason Bean at any point? Man, that's a great question. If it looks really bad where it's like noticeable how different it is with the arm injury, I think you kind of have to. But I, I don't think it's like a short leash either. It's not like, oh, he went out there for one drive and, and airmailed one throw and <laughs> skipped the throw short on an out route. No, like, you give him a bigger leash than that. But, like, yeah, let's let's say it's been, you know, four drives in the game. and Like, if we've got, like, six minutes left in the first quarter and it's, like, 21 yeah. nothing Texas, the offense hasn't been able to do anything. Two for seven with yeah, two Jaylen, interceptions. Yeah, he just doesn't look the same. <laughs> yeah. Then, yeah, at that point, you probably do owe it to yourself to, to go there. Uh, but the hope is that that's not the case and that – Everything we know that Jalen can do, he can do it at least close or, or near to the level we remember him at. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks, is going to join us coming up in about 20 minutes from right now. We also will have Kevin Flaherty joining the show on a Thursday at 440. We've got some audio to get to you today, whether it's KU football. And coming up next, we're going to share the first part. KU baseball coach, I guess manager, Dan Fitzgerald, uh, spoke to the media today about his signing class. You can call him coach. Yeah, skipper. I don't know. Whatever it is. Uh, We'll play some of that audio for you on the other side. Welcome back in. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson, and we're joined now by the voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney, uh, who is going to have quite the, uh, I don't know, list of, I, I know traveling in the States, you don't use your passport or anything, but, you know, go to Indianapolis uh, last week in Lubbock, going to Bahamas next week. Uh, how, how was your stay in Indianapolis? Did you hit up St. Elmo's in Indianapolis like everyone says they need to? We did, yeah. That's that's a great spot. If if you've not been there and you're listening today, and you've got 
any type of congestion or sinus issues, you go there and you order <laughs> the horseradish sauce, the, the, the cocktail sauce that you drip, dip your uh, shrimp in, but it's got the strongest horseradish ingredients in it to where you could get within three feet of that stuff and it will open you right up. And Bill Self, actually, the guy that first told me about that, he said, yeah, uh, all my broadcaster buddies say this is what you do. And so, sure enough, I know guys that keep a bottle of that in their fridge and if they're ever struggling, <laughs> it's just one bite or one whiff and it will clear you right up, my man. But now we did that and uh you know, downtown area is pretty nice. Maybe, you know, eventually with the Royals changing their, their stadium location and all that, we'll have more of a downtown feel in Kansas City to what they have in Indy where you've just got a lot of walking around, easily accessible stuff. But we enjoyed it and obviously really enjoyed the last four and a half minutes on game night. Well, Kansas takes down Duke in that game, and you know it. For a lot of moments in that game, the Kansas defense was was pretty special, and we've seen that early this season with the way that Dewan Harris can defend and uh, has quick hands. Same for Kevin McCuller and whatnot. I know it's super early in the season, and and I didn't really prepare you for this, so we can kind of talk this out back and forth. But where do you think this backcourt, just defensively, would rank among Bill Self backcourts with? Uh, the pairing of, of Dewan and Kevin McCuller uh, among Bill Self backcourts? Ooh, man, that's that's a great question. You know, you immediately think to the 2008 National Championship team with Mario Chalmers, who was so great at stealing the ball, and obviously you had Brandon Rush as a great perimeter lockdown defender. I think back to, you know, the 2012 team that made the run to the title game and, and the lockdown guy that Travis Rutherford was in that backcourt alongside Elijah and Tyshawn. And, uh, yeah, there have been some good ones for sure. Obviously, Marcus Garrett and insert any teammate here and his backcourt would be pretty dang good. But, uh, yeah, I'm trying to think, you know, when you have a, a guy with size like McCullough has that has such quick hands, Self's talked about how he has some of the best hands he's ever coached in 20 years here, and then you put in a guy like Juan, who Greg always says is a fly in the ointment, and, and it's just disruptive and a pest. That was the word that uh, Ernest used today. I was talking to Ernest about the back-to-back blocks that they had in that one sequence, and, and he said he's such a pest. And um, But, yeah, you put them together, and it really is a top three Kansas you know, backcourt combination defensively, and that's three games in. So let's let's talk after a forty game sample size, and we may say it's it's best effort. But for now, you know Garrett is still the best on ball defender we've had. He was a national defensive player of the year. So conversation would have to to start with him. Who who would have been his best backcourt mate? Because the season that that obviously you know he won national defensive player of the year, and Yudoka Azubuki also got national defensive player of the year by different publications. You had Devon Dotson in the backcourt, and he was solid, but wasn't known for defense or anything. Who who would you pair with Marcus as his best teammate over his four years when it came to perimeter defense? Yeah, I think that, I mean, I, I remember Devontae Graham was like a, a really good defender early in his career, but by the time Marcus was there, he had so much to do on offense and had to be out there so long that uh, he wasn't as, as strong of a defender with Marcus. So you're probably looking at, I mean, Devon Dotson was a nice pairing with him because he was kind of in that ilk of the Russell Robinson-Mario Chalmers where Russ Robb was the lockdown defender, like Marcus Garrett, and Chalmers was like the opportunistic defender, the guy who was going to get the steals, which was kind of Devon Dotson. So that one worked, yeah. I think, really well with each other. Uh, but I'm trying to think, wouldn't have 
Uh, Dewan Harris, I, I know he redshirted one year with Marcus Garrett there, but wouldn't the senior year, the last year of Marcus Garrett, been a year, and, and I don't remember how much they played together, but Dewan Harris and, and Marcus Garrett, that's a pretty good defensive backcourt whenever they're out yeah. there together. That counts. That, that's, a, that's a great one for sure. And Yeah, it was the infancy stages of Dewan's development, but uh, certainly that's, that's a tough one to beat. And you could also, on a separate episode, say, who are the favorite players Bill Self has ever coached? And after Tyler Self, it would be Marcus Garrett and then Dewan Harris. <laughs> and, and you could list off literally 20 years of other players, and I'm telling you, those are his two favorite guys he's ever coached. Uh, you know, for, for a lot of reasons, a lot of the natural attributes and the way they see the game and think the game is very much an extension of Coach Self, but, but the toughness and the grit and Self loves everything that, that Dewan has made himself as a person, as a student, before a student athlete, like he's really um, stepped up everything about him as an individual compared to what he had to overcome in his childhood and, and you know, where his academic standing was at when he first got here and where it's at now. You know, everything that he went through with his family, he's just an amazing story of perseverance. And then on top of that, he's the guy that just absolutely makes winning plays in every phase of the game, whether they show up tangibly on a stat sheet or not. He's that kind of guy. And so self adores him. And, and that would be a, a great conversation for another day. I'd, I'd love, you know, we never really have like bonus time on Hawk Talk to just debate these types of topics. Cause there's seven minutes per segment, a whole bunch of commercials and a whole lot to get in. But I, I'd love to sit him down and, and just talk about, absolute favorite guys because he you know coach he's an alpha male he's a guy's guy <laughs> you know who, who, who are the guys coach 20 years looking back on this you could sit around and have a beer with or hang out with or whatever because they're guys guys they're, they're cut from the cloth that you are who would be around that table i'd be curious to hear what he'd say when you look at the ku duke game as a whole what were just some of your big takeaways from it and I, i'm i'm interested curious specifically in we saw a lot of KJ at the five and the, kind of that small ball switch five lineup. Is, is that something that could be used consistently in the long term, or do you think Ernest Uday or Zubiedjefer might eventually get into that mix? Great question. And somebody tried to ask that of Norm Roberts today, and, and he passed the buck on it pretty fast and said, hey, my last game is head coaches tomorrow. I'm not going to sign up for that question and, and then have uh, you guys hold me to it. He said, direct that to Coach Self starting Monday. You know, obviously, he did some nice things for us, and yet, obviously, our optimal potential is having a 6'11 guy with a 7'4 wingspan who can alter and block a ton of shots in there. And so, Ernest, who I thought did some really nice things with the four blocks, and he, he gives you your highest ceiling. He did not rebound very well, and we saw Zuby come in and actually do a better job on the glass with the five boards. But I'd say that was kind of a one-off for Ernest in terms of the rebounds on that particular night. Those guys give us our highest ceiling, without a doubt. But KJ's versatility and the fact that he can guard anybody one through five, which, which is really rare for a guy at that size, um, and then the fact that he's starting to become uh, at least serviceable offensively. He's going to have to work on his free throw shooting. It was 60% a year ago and you know, missed the end one, finished the other night. But if he can be a guy that finishes from 10 feet and in, and you know, when you have these stick-back opportunities or dump-downs when, when the play breaks down and he winds up being the open man when help defense slides over, if he can prove to be consistent and dependable there to where it's not a, an offensive liability, you love everything else he gives you as a defender, as a rebounder, all of that. And the career-high eight points the other night shows he is becoming 
more capable with his offensive skill set. So I, I think he's kind of a, I hate to use the cliche, Swiss Army knife expression, but because he's so versatile defensively, um, you can have him out there in a multitude of roles, and you can have him out there next to one of those bigs if the situation called for it. But uh, I, I was pleased with him the other night, and yet I think we'll all agree for having this conversation four months from now that you know Ernest in particular, but but the Ernest Zuby freshman combo has the highest ceiling to, to make Kansas formidable in the post. I think Ernest is going to wind up being a Udoka-type guy, not this season, but eventually, where you know it's rim protection to the tune of a couple of blocks per game on one end, and it's three and a half dunks per game on the other end. And, and hopefully he's a better free-throw shooter than Doak was and, and does some other things. But his offensive game still has some rough edges to smooth out, but I think he's still the guy that gives us our best chance. We're talking with Brian Haney here, switching gears over to the football side. You can obviously hear both the games, basketball tomorrow here on KLWN, pregame 5.30, tip-off 7, football at 2.30 for Kansas and Texas. Take me back into the booth last year with you and David. Jared Casey catches the two-point conversion. How much do you remember from the post-game, from the excitement maybe during commercial breaks and or after the game? Uh, Take me back. What's most memorable for you from the game down in Austin? You know, it was stressful getting down there. We'd done a basketball game the night before, and then we uh, were flying out first thing in the morning on, on that Saturday out of Kansas City on Southwest. And Southwest moved our flight three times and ended up getting delayed like five hours. At one point, I had us booked on three different airlines trying to get there in time. So that was stressful. But we got there, and, and when we did, just to see the way you know the Jayhawks uh, showed them, hey, we're here to stay. We're going to be a part of this game tonight. And the way, the way they came back swinging to get in it and, and take a lead and, and put the pressure on Texas, and it felt like, oh, my gosh, could this really happen? And then when Texas started to make their comeback, um, you know, you started to have that here we go again feeling, you know, maybe we're just going to wind up putting a scare into them but not actually winning. But to see it won in overtime in the fashion that it was, to be scrambling on our two-deep down to the three-deep and the four-deep to, to get Jerry Casey's name on the tip of our tongue, which sounds crazy now because he's a household name and he's Mr. Applebee's and all that stuff. But at the time, you know, he, he wasn't anywhere on the two-deep, all right? He was listed on the roster as a fullback, and, and he was doing some H-back and, and tied in wise guy packages uh, at the Y position. But, you know, we're like, okay, Plainville, Jerry Casey, yeah. Let's make sure we have 47 on our chart. And I'm like writing it in in pencil because it wasn't on the original 2D. But injuries had started to pile up, and, and suddenly he's out there more. And thankfully, we did have his name on the tips of our tongues when, when uh, Jalen Daniels rolled right through to the end zone. But uh, watching Devin Neal have the day that he had with the four touchdowns, uh, four total touchdowns, that is, three on the ground. He was brilliant. 143 rushing yards that day, really special. And the pick six, I mean, there were so many great highlights. But I'll never forget getting the call, the game winner, next to David Lawrence and and just watching his sheer joy and jubilation. Uh, If you watch the the behind-the-mic video of our final call, David like falls back in his chair and, and he looks to the heavens and, and somebody texted me, is David having a stroke? Like what he, he was like shaking and looking at the heavens, but he was just so thankful. And you think about all that David's been through in, in 40 years of uh, a few highs, but a lot of lows in there too. And, and he stuck it out. I mean, if there anybody 
Is there anybody in the media more synonymous with Kansas Jayhawk football than David Lawrence? Is there anybody, you know, in, in the entire Kansas football family, when you talk about his tenure and his legacy, more synonymous? And so I was so happy for him. And, and when I go back and I watch that video, I, I haven't asked him, but was he saying a prayer? Was he was he thanking God? He just looked to the heavens, and he was probably pinching himself like. Did this really just happen? But his call was brilliant because he threw in the the, uh, the hometown reference right after I had said, it's caught, it's caught, and Kansas will win. The pride of Plainville, Kansas, you know, and it, it was just perfect, David's call was. And then his reaction was that of someone that this means more to him than anybody else you can think of. That, that's how much he cares. And so we, we had a blast. We were hugging each other. We were jumping up and down. You try to have some kind of uh, – professional decorum most of the time. But when you win in Austin for the first time ever, yeah, you're going to celebrate a little bit. And we certainly did that. That's a night I'll always, always cherish. Well, looking at this matchup, um, I've, I've kind of noted the tackling on the defensive side and, and the Texas pass rush slowing that down are going to be keys for KU. What do you kind of see as being the key for, for the Jayhawks winning this time around against the Longhorns? Well, they're a better football team, I think, significantly than what we faced a year ago. And obviously, they're going to be dialed in. And you can look at it and say, oh, they're only six and four. But guys, their four losses were by one point, three points, seven points, and seven points. So they're all one score losses. Uh, add them all up. What's that equal? 18 total points from their four losses. So they could easily be eight and two. Uh, I, I think that, you know, obviously, yours is a guy that has had some really good moments where he's looked the part of a guy that you respect and fear, and then there's other moments where he's looked his age as a redshirt freshman, but uh, had the big game versus OU when he passed for nearly 304 touchdowns. And in that game, he was in rhythm, he had time, he was confident. If Kansas can heat him up and not allow him to settle in, if they can force Texas to have to lean on him more because yards aren't coming easy for B. John Robinson and, and Johnson and, and, and the rest of the, the UT run game, then I think we have a chance to really take advantage of having the, the upper hand at the quarterback position, whoever it is for Kansas back there. Uh, it's, it's not going to be as bad as it was a year ago for Texas with Hudson Card unless we knock viewers out of the game. But that, that was an obvious advantage for us. And then we need to make sure it's an advantage again this year. And, you know, when we played at our best, we've gotten off the fast starts and, and we've put the pressure on the opposition. And typically when we've lost, we've not done that. So uh, we'd love to see Kansas play from out in front. If you do have a chance to get number six back, how sweet would that be to watch his return? He marches down the field, has a game-opening touchdown drive. Talking about Jalen Daniels, of course. If it's Jason Bean, it'd just be great to see him bounce back after a little bit of a shaky finish to the Lubbock game. But whoever's out there, I'd love to see the Jayhawks pop him in the mouth early because Texas is coming up here with revenge on the minds, and they've, they've heard about this one uh, really ever since last November from their fan base. So it'd be nice to, to make it two in a row and, and uh, you know show this fan base at Kansas that we weren't fat and happy at six wins. You know, this, this program plans to add one or two more before it's all done, and to beat Texas in consecutive years, how sweet would that be? Well, before we let you go, I do have uh, two names to pitch at you. One of them is Justice Finkley, which I just Finkley at Finkel and Einhorn. I think of uh, a little bit of Ace Ventura. And the other one is, this is, I I feel like, the one. He's a kicker. He's got, like, the Jason Bean type of hair, but it's curly, um, 
red hair, which is perfect for, for Texas, like the burnt orange hair, and his name is Bert Auburn. He's the kicker. <laughs> I love it. That's good. That's good. Mine, mine from this week, uh, you got to go to the backup defensive tackle. He wears number 98. He's out of Katy, Texas, and his name is Moro Ojimo. Moro Ojimo. So give me some Moro, Moro Ojimo. It just rolls off the tongue. There's literally five O's in his name. Moro Ojimo. Wow. That's got to be a record. Of the week. Well, yeah, Brian. That, that might have to be. Appreciate the time. And uh, before we let you go, word from Nate Miller. That's right. Just as our Jayhawks have a game plan to take down Texas, you too need a game plan for your most profitable financial future check him out today at millerretirementgroup.com nate miller one of my good friends excellent financial advisor he'll help you as well millerretirementgroup.com guys thanks so much and maybe we'll talk next week from the bahamas you let me know be happy to call you up if you're doing a show there we go would love to do it just don't want to uh, hurt your phone bill too much brian appreciate the time <laughs> as always man <laughs> see you buddy Bye. Hi, that's brian haney voice of the jayhawks cue the disclaimer does not endorse and all individuals should make their own evaluation of the firm's investment advisory and insurance services. Investment advisory services offered only by duly registered individuals through AE Wealth Management, LLC. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk, KU Mailbag, next. Four o'clock hour, this is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. we got High School Sports Weekly coming at you tonight. We're going to be doing the show live at Burgers by Biggs at 6 o'clock. You can hear it live on KLWN at 7. Are you looking for the perfect destination for your next social or corporate gathering? Venue 1235 has you covered, located right off I-70 and five minutes from downtown Lawrence. Venue 1235 is a large climate-controlled event space with a catering kitchen, private suite, and a covered patio. Our KU mailbag for this week. Got a handful of questions, and thank you to all your submissions. You can always submit to us at RCST1320 or uh, to either me or Nick's Twitter accounts. Carrier pigeon, mail. Yeah, anyway, anyway that you want to get away. You want to, you know, drive outside our office and hold up like a sign or something, like a, college a game poster. day. Yeah, yeah. Poster, yeah. Cool. First one from Victor. More likely to get hired away from Kansas after their season. Andy Kotelnicki or Norm Roberts? Okay, like so this. I think. Because of the continuity, the, the continuity aspect of the football staff, I don't think Kotelnicki would leave for a different job on his own. So if you're going to suggest that Kotelnicki is going to get hired away from Kansas, I think it would be because Lance Leipold gets hired away and Kotelnicki goes with him. I don't I don't think he would just leave on his own because of how long those guys have been together. Couldn't you say the same so, thing about Norm Roberts, though? Well, I'm going to get to that here. I'm going to get to that. Because with Norm Roberts, I think there's a, there's a caveat that makes a difference. With Norm Roberts, he's been a head coach before. He has had coaching experience previously. As you said, he has been with Bill Self for a 10 years now, and this is the second stint. He was actually with Bill Self before, and then he came back for another stint, right? Mm -hmm. But imagine this. Imagine Norm Roberts. He's been the acting head coach during the games for the past four games. Imagine that little the, him acting as head coach maybe reignites that spark or reignites that, that passion that he wants to you know, run his own program, right? Mm-hmm. That I think is where you could make the argument that Norm Roberts would maybe go. What do you think? I think that makes sense. Norm Roberts is fifty-seven, so he's getting to that point where if he wants to take a head coaching job, he'd have to do it soon, within the next like year or two. Um, but again, I don't think Kotelnicki is going to leave for a head coaching job on his own. Maybe, maybe not. Like, I mean, it's one thing. Like, maybe he doesn't want to leave for a you know whatever coaching job. But like, what if it's 
What if he gets offered like a really good job and he, you know, wins the Broyles Award for the nation's top assistant and he gets to be like a power five head coach? Like it's it's hard to turn that down okay. for the money and the opportunity. Yeah. No, I understand. I just I just I don't think Kotelnicki would be leaving unless it was be unless it was leaving with Leipold to go to like Wisconsin. Or but that still is a possibility, I guess, as well. No, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. It's still a possibility. And I think it's maybe a higher possibility than Norm Roberts leaving. <clears throat> so I would probably say to answer this question, I would probably say Andy Kolnick. Hmm. Yeah, because you do have that factor in there. Yeah, I, I think Andy Kolnick is more likely, but it's it's got to be hard if you're a college basketball program and see what Norm Roberts has done. And, and again, yeah, he is a coach in his late 50s, so you're not bringing on a guy who's 35, 40, who you feel like is going to be at your program for 10, 15, 20 years. But like the success that Mark Adams has had at Texas Tech, like in his 60s, um, I know it was just one year, but yeah, can you really call that success? I, I do wonder if a team would give him a shot after seeing this past stuff. Again, I don't he's know. Had, he's had head coaching experience before previously. Mm-hmm. And now you have, you consider he's been head coach for three games, about to be four. Maybe that reignites the spark in him. Okay, uh, this one from Adam. What are the best November wins of the Bill Self era? And obviously, Norm Roberts coaching versus Duke, but still Self era. So, okay, I, so I actually you've compiled a top a, 10. Yeah, I you've compiled a, a long You can list. tell me where you think I'm wrong. Whatever. Okay, so you just want to go through your list? Yeah, so a uh, couple honorable mention picks. Uh, 2015 Maui Invitational Championship over 19th ranked Vanderbilt, 70-63. You won one of the premier tournaments, but also that's a little forgettable, and that season wasn't like unbelievable for Kansas or anything. Uh, 2017 Champions Classic over 7th ranked Kentucky. I don't remember that Kentucky team end up being that good, and also... It was a gross game. 65-61. <laughs> the KU team obviously made a Final Four, but that was not a game that you walked away from um, thinking like, oh my gosh, can you believe that? It was like, okay, they grinded out a win. Cool. All right, into the okay. top 10. Number 10, 2014, Kansas beat number 20 Michigan State in the ESPN Events Invitational. That was, I guess, the first of their two times playing it. It was against a big school. A lot of these wins actually are going to come against Michigan State in some of their November matchups. Um, that was kind of a fun one. It was... Yeah. Uh, I don't yeah, know. It was, I was, it was the year after Wiggins and Embiid, and it was like, what does this team have? And they went out and got that win, and, and it felt like an important win at the time. Yeah, you will you will find that, unfortunately, a lot of these games are going to be like Champions Classic games. Yes. Because um, it's because, November. Yeah, because, and typically your November schedule is kind of cupcakey. Yeah. Right? So. Yeah. Okay, number nine, another Michigan State win. <clears throat> I'm choking up because I'm just <laughs> thinking about how special it was. Uh, 2018, <laughs> Champions Classic victory over 10th-ranked Michigan State. And that was 92-87. to So that one obviously didn't end up being yeah. a game that led to Kansas having all this success, but that the ended up being line. a really good Michigan yeah. State team. Yeah. The Michigan State team went to the Final Four with uh, Cassius Winston. And um, it was a fun game. Quentin Grimes broke out. Like, yes, that didn't end up working out into the full season, but at the time, it was like you had a bunch of new freshmen for Kansas, and it was like, man, this team's going to be really talented. There's another one on that year on this list, but we'll get to that in a second. Number eight is 2021. They beat Michigan State, who wasn't like an unbelievable team last season. They ended up getting a seven seed at the time. They weren't ranked. We didn't know how good they'd be. It was more so about the breakout for Ojai Agbaji and that yeah. you felt so great about how good he looked in that first game. And Obviously, that team going on to win a title, it becomes a little bit more memorable, plus maybe a bit of recency bias there. Okay, number seven, back to that 2018-19 season. 
I think this might have been one of the last games that Yudoka Azubuki was was healthy that year. 2018, Kansas over fifth-ranked Tennessee, 87 to 81 in overtime, and it was the NIT season tip-off like final game. So it was a big game. Tennessee ended yep. up being really good that year. I think they won the SEC. Uh, it was a game where you did have Doak and, and Dedrick Lawson. Remember that KU was undefeated before Doak got injured that year. Um, again, not a great season overall, but that was a fun game. Yeah, I do remember that game. That mm-hmm. was a good game. It was. That was a good win. Yeah, good game all around and, and you know, showed at the time, like, hey, maybe Kansas is the best team. Tennessee until the had, uh, what, Admiral Schofield? Admiral they Schofield, had, uh, Grant Williams, Grant Williams. Yeah. Uh, Jordan yep. Bone or something. Yeah, so that ended up being a pretty impressive one. Yeah. yeah, I remember that one. Number six, I do not remember this one at all, but I just put it up there because it's a big win. It was a top 10 game. Uh, 2003, Kansas. Took down number three Michigan State, eighty-one to seventy-four. Now it wasn't like a great game. It was a game that KU got a big. I think it was like fifty-four thirty-nine, and then Michigan State started to climb back. Made it a bit of a game late, but KU still won by seven. But it was Bill Self's second game as the KU head coach. Huh. So you could make an argument that that one's even bigger because it got things kind of rolling there. Yeah. Wayne Simeon went for twenty-eight points, but I don't remember anything. Yeah, from I the was game, so I was five when that game happened. Yeah, what was your favorite what was your favorite shot from that game? What's your favorite moment from that <laughs> game? Uh okay, number 5. I I don't know. I almost feel like this one's too low. You could also say it's too high. I don't know. I had someone text me and say this one maybe should be number 1. I think that's recency bias though. Uh the win this week against Duke in the Champions Classic. Yeah. Felt like it was an arriving moment for this team, and the way that it finished for KU was a nice jolt of fun at the end of that game. I, I would, just think there's better ones. I would feel ones. better about this one if Duke had their full capacity of healthy freshmen. Like, Derek Lively, the number one overall recruit, didn't play that much. Derek Whitehead didn't play. Like, I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's a great gutty, it's a great yeah. gutsy win for Kansas, no question about it. But, I mean, Duke was not totally 100%, and they clearly have, they clearly had not meshed together their whole team quite yet with all their freshmen. So, still a very impressive win for Kansas and a great win, but I, I think, I think it's, I think it's too high on your list. Yeah, I, I think that it doesn't have the benefit of hindsight. Like some of these other games, it's like, oh, Kansas ended up being great that yeah, year. Yeah, like if Kansas or, goes and wins right. the title this year, like you might look back on this game. Or like if Kansas goes and wins the title and Duke is like the number two overall seed, Kansas number one overall seed, whatever, and then you might look back and say, okay, yeah, mm-hmm. big win. Okay, number four. And again, this one, you could argue to me should be number one, but I'll tell you why I have it at number four. Okay. 2019 Kansas over Dayton 90 to 84 in overtime in the Maui Invitational. This one I actually I kind of forgot about this one, but this was a fantastic game, right? right? So just like, like the just the just the the game yes. itself was like so high level. Obi Toppin obviously was insane. Like this this is a game that I think yes, you could make a case should be should be pretty high. Yeah, because like you said, just by just by pure nature of like how entertaining was yeah, the game? The level was, of basketball was incredible. It was fantastic. It was 98-84. It went to overtime. You had the star power of Obi Toppin on Dayton. You had the, the last second uh, heroics of Dayton hitting the three to, to force overtime. I think it was Jalen Crutcher who might have hit it. You had Devon Dotson going for 31 points. You had Yudoka Azubuki unstoppable. He went 12 of 15 for 29 points. Low-key, Marcus Garrett had 18 points in that game. Wow. Um, you had the fact that it was, you know, the Maui Invitational is one of the two or three most premier, maybe the most premier, of the like preseason tournaments, and it was for the championship in that. Um, and then, if you have the hindsight in there, Duke or, or not Duke, Dayton ended up being one of the best teams in the country. Yes, and so did Kansas was the best team in the country. And then no so tournament, you, right? But I so think sad. at the time, 
we didn't understand no, how I think, great of a game we were seeing. I think Dayton was time, unranked. Well, yeah, I, th I think at the time, this was a game where the casual Kansas fan was like, well, why are we going overtime with yes. Dayton? Like, what do you mean? Like, right, and then Obi Toppin ends up becoming a top five draft pick and is like this great player. Dayton ends up being, like you say, one of the top teams. Like, yeah, I think at the time, this was definitely probably for more casual fans, a game of like, wait, we had to go to overtime against Dayton? Yeah, so like looking back, if you were asking which one would you most want to rewatch, that would be the one, but I think it's a little bit of hindsight knowing what Dayton became. Yeah. So that's why I have it at number four. Number three, the 2016 Kansas, again, for some people this might be number one, Kansas over number one Duke in the Champions Classic. You had the top-ranked team in the country. You beat them on a near buzzer beater from Frank Mason, which was kind of the start of him being player of the year. The reason I don't have it as high as the other two that I'm going to get to is because of the fact So Duke was without Jason Tatum in the game, which I remembered being like a big deal, which obviously it was a big deal. Um, and also, KU was coming off a loss to Indiana a few days earlier, so it kind of it didn't, like, kill the vibe. It was still a huge game, Champions Classic. But it did kind of – it wasn't, like, the first game of the season where all this hope is in your eyes of, like, how incredible could we be. There were some questions after the Indiana loss. So it, it took away some of the luster from the game. It was still a great game. That's why I have it in at number three. I could argue the Dayton one should be higher. I could argue this one should be higher. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I, I personally would probably put this one as my number one. But also, for me personally, it was my freshman year at KU. Like, I just got there, and then we have this incredible game. Frank Mason obviously hits the remarkable shot, and Frank Mason goes on to be National Player of the Year. Like, to me, this is to me this is number one because of the fact that it was it was over number one, Duke. Yeah, I, and honestly, like, any of the top four, I have no problem if you would put yeah, that number one. Yeah, your, because your number two is probably my number two or number mm -hmm. three. This one, I think, for some people, is might be their number one as well. Like, yeah. uh, so it's it's the another Kansas Duke game. I feel like all these are either Kansas Duke or Kansas Michigan <laughs> State or their Champions Classic, which this one is both those. 2013 Champions Classic over number four Duke. This one had the most hype yeah. of any of the games because you had the, these gigantic, larger-than-life freshmen with Andrew Wiggins and Jabari Parker yep. going up against each other. They lived up to the billing. Andrew Wiggins had 22 eight. points, eight rebounds. But Perry Ellis... Was this was the leading score for Kansas? He yeah. had 24. Yeah, Jabari Parker, 27-9 for Duke. But yeah, Perry Ellis had 24. A uh, little forgotten there. He also had nine rebounds. Wayne Seldon added 15 points. It was an up-and-down game. It ended up being... By the way, Frank Mason had 15 off the bench as a freshman. How about that? Oh, um, I didn't know that. 94-83. And you would think, based on that score, oh, well, Kansas ran away. No, it was a close game throughout. And then Kansas, over the last like minute or two, came away. I think Wiggins threw down a big dunk at the end, and then they hit some free throws to expand the lead. That was a great game. It was built up as a great game, and that was one of those where it felt like a larger-than-life exhibition game where yeah. it felt like more like than what just the a November matchup. It's supposed to be. Yes, yeah. exactly. Uh, but the number one for me is a game that, honestly, I don't remember too fondly. I remember a little bit, but just talking to some other KU fans about this as I was putting together this list, I settled on this at number one. It's the game in 2006 that was played in Las Vegas against Florida. Um, so Florida that year They were number one Yes, they were number one And they ended up winning Their second straight national title But coming into that game even Florida was the defending champs And they were ranked number one So there was all this hype You have the Kansas Jayhawks in year I think that would have been year four of Bill Self Of like, hey, could this be a year That they kind of take over It goes to overtime You know how many pros you had on the court You had Brandon Rush Julian Wright, Mario Chalmers, Darrell Arthur, I guess Sasha Khan at one point for Kansas. That doesn't even account 
for a couple other good college players like Russell Robinson and, and Sharon Collins. I guess Sharon had a cup of coffee. So you're talking about six guys who at one point played in the NBA for Kansas. For Florida, they had Joe Kim Noah, Al Horford, Corey Brewer, uh, Maurice Spates. So that's four guys. And then they had a couple other good college players with like um, Lee Humphrey, Torian Green, and whatnot. That game was loaded with NBA talent. It was an unbelievable game. It was back and forth. You had the defending champ and the eventual national champ. You had a great Kansas team. That one was awesome. This one is filed under. I was eight, so I'm not <laughs> gonna make it. I'm not gonna make it my most memorable game. Mm-hmm. Well, if you think we we should have had something else at number one, or we missed one, let us know it was at a our shout out thirteen twenty. But that was a fun question. Thank you, Adam. Yeah. Okay, this one from Matt. Should MJ Rice be a starter on this team? I don't think so because of the position he plays. And I think MJ Rice's role, assuming he gets healthy and everything goes well for him, I think his role is going to be the offensive spark plug off the bench type guy. Like you're struggling a little bit and you bring him off the bench. Because here's, okay, because riddle me this. Who do you start him over? Obviously yeah. not DeWan, not McCuller. And then you got Jalen and Grady as the other two wing guys. He's not starting over either one of those guys. Yeah. Like what? Like, what? No, that, you're 100% right. There's the problem. Uh, your only way is if you were like, we're going to play Jalen as a small ball five. I guess you could convince me that if Grady Dick goes through like, like shooting really slumps struggles. and like, then he's struggling he not, defensively. I mean, he would have to really, really, really yeah. struggle. It's, it's, a no, it's not even worth having the conversation over Jalen and Dewan. Exactly. I mean, I, I and then McCuller, I guess. But if like, you want to kick the tires, but I'll quickly shut it down by saying Kevin McCuller is one of the best defensive yes, players he does in the so entire much country. Another area. Yes, he's that's a better passer think, than MJ Rice. That's where I think MJ Rice's role comes in as the spark plug energy guy. Like yes, he's exactly. your first or second guy off the bench. He's going to maybe run to the rim, make a couple dunks, make some big plays, and that's his role. Yeah, I agree. I also think there's. It's almost like MJ Rice is a little bit like. Uh, the Jason Bean, Jalen Daniels talking that like the ceiling is super high there, but the floor is a little bit lower. Like, so I don't know. Yeah. Uh, okay. This last one from Aaron. How would you improve the champions classic? MSU is going into tonight unranked for the third time and has won one since 2015. He asked this before it happens. This is yeah. kind of funny. <laughs> yeah. Cause uh, they re- ended up winning. Yeah. Replace <laughs> MSU, have the winning teams play each other in a championship game. One to two days later, scrap it all and have the final four teams play each other. What would you do? Okay. So what's interesting about the Michigan state discussion is Michigan State has the same record in the Champions Classic that Kentucky does. That is wild. Michigan State and Kentucky are five and seven. And what's crazier is I think I saw a stat uh, before they were saying like when they beat Kentucky on Tuesday night, they said that was like their first win in like six or seven Champions Classic. Yeah, so, so they yeah, must they, have so they started. Haven't, they haven't won since 2015. That's crazy. So they just won like the, all of them at the start. <laughs> Yeah, so but they had the same in, record. I think it was 2015, the one where they beat Kansas. That was we didn't have the the question asked the most infuriating November <laughs> losses. That would be up there because they blew that game. So they have the same record as Kentucky, and Duke and Kansas are both seven and five. So if you look at it from that standpoint, the Champions Classic has been yeah. very competitive, right? Okay, but I want to say one more thing. I love what uh, Aaron threw in, threw in at the end of this question. Imagine if you make the Champions Classic, the final four teams from the previous tournament play each other, right? Mm-hmm. So for instance. For this uh, for this last season, Kansas would have played Duke, which they because so because here's how you do it because Kansas obviously in Villanova on one so you side. just swap the sides. yeah exactly so you just okay. swap them. so Kansas would play Villanova, Kansas Carolina. would have played Duke and North Carolina would have played Villanova right so you just do that right you have if if you want if you wanted to change the Champions Class mm-hmm. I think that would be awesome right I think now, the only problem you get is if you have a fluky team yes. that gets on a big run of the to the you know, like, like for instance, you would have Loyola Chicago right. in the Champions Classic. Well, that, that one would year actually worked out four. if they did it in Chicago that one year, right? <laughs> um, but yeah, so no, I, I, you do run the risk of that. That's my problem. You'd have the VCU year or something like that, or 
Uh, plus, the point of this, they're trying to fill up the stadium. And if they, even if they get a team who's not like fluky, fluky, but they're not like a basketball power, I don't know that it fills up. I, I think it's fine the way it is. I don't think we need to touch it. But yeah, I would be okay if they were like, I think, yeah, we we're had to sub out. Yeah, we had this talk discussion earlier. yesterday of UCLA, yeah, Indiana. UCLA, Villanova, or if they keep it going, Indiana, whoever. Yeah. So we, we'd be fine with that too. All right, that is our KU mailbag. Thank you to everybody for asking questions. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. We're going to take a timeout. When we come back, we've got more of the Dan Fitzgerald press conference from earlier today. Welcome back in to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson and joined now by a staple of our Tuesday shows, but with the Champions Classic joining us here on a Thursday. That would be one Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports and CBS Sports. And uh, Kevin, I'll give you kind of an open floor here with the Champions Classic. Uh, Michigan State takes down Kentucky in double overtime. Kansas with the late comeback to down Duke. I asked Nick earlier this week, how would you rank the four teams in the Champions Classic? Uh, what would be your answer to that? You know, it, it's kind of funny because I, I think that I, I was talking to somebody afterwards and we weren't even talking about for later this season. We were saying right now, how would you rank them? And I think I would probably still go with Kentucky one. Uh, I, I'd probably go Kansas two, Duke three, and then Michigan State four. In terms of hey, if you have a national or if you have a tournament right now, you know who's who's going to come out of this thing. Or even if you just had the four teams play around robin, you know who winds up coming out of it. And so I, while Kentucky lost that game, and you know there were you know potentially some flaws there and things you can look at. I really think that that Kentucky has a has a pretty interesting way through. The one thing that's it's fascinating about it, though, Derek, when you look at that Kentucky team, and, and obviously it's a team that Kansas is going to see later this year, is some of the solutions that maybe Kentucky could find are things that are against sort of John Calipari's wheelhouse because he's always prized sort of that length and athleticism over skill. And so you look at a guy like Chris Livingston, their five-star freshman, he played small forward, you know, against Michigan State, and I think that if Kentucky were to look at him more at the four spot and say, "Hey, Damian Collins, who comes in at the four spot, you're actually a five, and decided to play a little bit smaller and do some things there, get more skill on the court, maybe more minutes for Antonio Reeves." I think Kentucky could be one of the top couple teams in the country this year. Kansas, though, I think. The fascinating thing about that game, and I realize I've I've taken maybe a short question and turned it into a really long answer. I, I think the thing we knew coming in was with two starters back, and particularly two blue collar starters back, and and Jalen Wilson and Dewan Harris, and then you add in Kevin McCuller, who's also sort of that scrappy blue collar type. We thought this team would be very tough and very mentally tough, and I thought that 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 was something that really showed up against Duke because I'll I'll be honest with you, I don't know how you guys felt about it, but when it was 59-54 to with right about four minutes left or so, I I was thinking, yeah, this, this thing's probably done and dusted at this point. Yeah, that's uh, that that run by Grady Dick at the end, Dewan Harris and whatnot was was pretty incredible uh, for KU. 
I, I guess it, it's interesting because I, I almost wonder if Duke maybe has the highest ceiling uh, of the four teams sure. that were there, uh, especially when, when players get back and, and healthy and whatnot. Uh, but I guess, I don't know, maybe you could make the, the case that the Kansas could have been a lot better too if, if MJ Rice were there or they had another big with depth with Zach Clements. Obviously, if Bill Self was there, not that Norm Roberts didn't do a fine job or whatnot. Um, do you do you buy into Michigan State, I guess, now being good? They just played Gonzaga close, and, and then they do beat Kentucky? I think that Michigan State is a combination of you look at them and you say against some of the nation's most talented teams. And I think Gonzaga's got some guard problems that, that showed up against Texas. But when you look at, at the most talented teams, I don't think you would pick Michigan State among them. But if you look at Tom Izzo's history, a lot of times his teams that have had success, and particularly in March, haven't necessarily been his most talented teams. They've been teams with Cash Winston as the best player on that team when Cash Winston isn't necessarily, you know, sort of a no doubt NBA guy like they had even just the previous season when you were talking about Miles Bridges and Jaron Jackson Jr. and all the guys on, on that team. And so I do think Tom Izzo, he spent all summer telling people, I really like this team. I think they have toughness. I think they have togetherness, chemistry. And we've seen it in college basketball that, that that can go a long way. I don't know that that sitting here today, if you're picking, you know, hey, these teams can win a national title, I don't know that I would put Michigan State in that discussion, you know, ever since the, the start of the expanded NCAA tournament era, a national champion has had a top 30 pick. And I, looking at that Michigan State roster, I couldn't tell you who that top 30 pick would be. And so I, I think they're missing maybe a little bit of that higher-end talent that you expect from from a national title contender. But I do think, again, if you're holding a tournament today and you're saying, okay, who's going to reach the Sweet 16? I think you'd probably say that Michigan State's one of the 16 best teams in the country right now as of this moment. Well, moving around elsewhere in the Big 12, Texas just shellacked Gonzaga last night. I was unbelievably impressed with their uh, athleticism out there. Obviously, it helps when you make like every three, which Tyrese Hunter was, and, and the the court environment or the, the crowd I thought was was really into it That in something we haven't really seen in the past with Texas. Uh, so are, are you more impressed with Texas to this point or disappointed with TCU? You know, I'm going to do a really bad Bill Self impersonation really quickly. You know, how many times have we seen Kansas, you know, just destroy a, a really good opponent? You could look back at, at Baylor last year for an example, and Self is in the post game. He says, ah, we just made shots. <laughs> and, and, you know, he, he just sort of hems and haws, and he says, you know, when you make shots, you're going to look pretty good. And, and I think Texas is a really good team. Texas is a legitimate Big 12 title contender. And Texas, you know, when you're looking at Baylor and Kansas to top that conference, I think Texas is in that discussion as well. I think it's those three right now kind of standing out. At the same time, I tweeted this out yesterday. If Texas hits 13 to 28 threes, and that's where they were at before, I think they missed like their last five after the game was was already decided, Texas is going to beat the snot out of everybody in the country because you're talking about a team that, what was it, Derek, was it 19% they were shooting from three, something like that coming in? 
And, and so to to have a team that you know, hey, shooting could be a weakness for this team. It's certainly not going to be a consistent strength if they come out and don't just shoot lights out, but also hit that many outside shots. You know, at that point, you just kind of tip your cap and say, okay, Texas is gonna is gonna win this game regardless of who the opponent is tonight. Kind of along that note, Kevin. Do you think there's a chance that the Big 12 ends up being just really top-heavy with Kansas, Texas, and Baylor, and then everybody else is just kind of bad? Is that a possibility? Like, I know we've talked about it being the deepest conference, but what if everybody else is just kind of bad? Yeah, I don't think that everybody else is bad, but I do think you're on to something with the top-heavy nature of it. And I think, you know, TCU, when a bunch of us looked at them before the season, obviously TCU was a really highly ranked team. But there was also this fear, at least from my side, that last year's team, you know, they uh, they should have hired them for the Memorial Stadium project because they laid more bricks than anybody from the outside. <laughs> and when you when you looked at that and you bring all those starters over, I think you generally tend to assume like, hey, you're going to get better because everybody returns. But that doesn't necessarily mean that a bunch of people who can't shoot are going to shoot well. And I do think, you know, it's tough to gauge TCU a little bit with with Miles missing the last game, with Damian Ball being out. You take away somebody's starting backcourt, they're not usually going to look especially great. But at the same time, TCU hasn't looked nearly as good as you would expect them to, even with those those people gone. Texas Tech, to me, is a really interesting team because I think you figure they're going to defend well. In the offense, there's a lot more fluidity to it in ball movement. I know that they hired an assistant coach this offseason who had kind of run like the Golden State Warriors system in junior college. And so, you know, there's a chance that Texas Tech maybe has a little bit more offense, but it's not there yet. Uh, and so there's a chance that Texas Tech, maybe by conference play, is that number four team. But I do think that if you're looking at it right now, you're looking at three top ten teams, and then maybe the next team would be maybe sort of a borderline top 25 type team, and you you have a pretty significant drop-off from that point. All right, we're talking with Kevin Flaherty at 24-7 Sports. I do want to switch gears and talk a little college football with you, too. Kansas takes on Texas this Saturday, and four of the last five meetings have been one score. The 2016 win, last year the win off the two-point conversion with Jared Casey. How much of a shot are you really giving Kansas to to pull this off? How much does it change if it's Jalen Daniels? And, and I guess how does Kansas just overall match up with Texas? Yeah, I wouldn't be a bit surprised to see Jalen Daniels on Saturday. I think the big question there is in I realize I'm kind of answering a question with a question, but what version of Jalen Daniels do we get? And I think that that's an important question, too, because Jalen's a good thrower. He's a talented thrower. He's got a great arm. We've seen all of those things. And yet I think one of the things that Kansas can maybe do to challenge Texas if Jalen can play and is is playing at a high level is a lot of the option stuff that we saw earlier in the season because Jason Bean has done a really admirable job, but I think we can all sit here on this broadcast and say the option game has not been the same. You know, he doesn't have sort of that decision-making one, two, Jason Bean's a really straight-line fast guy, but Jalen Daniels is thicker. He can break a tackle. He can make a guy miss, you know, and he's just a little more decisive with it. And so 
I think if Jalen plays and they have sort of the full playbook at, at his fingertips because he's at a high enough percentage that you feel good about running everything, yeah, I think Kansas has a, has a real chance to win this game. I'm very interested to see how Kansas defends Texas coming out of that TCU game. Because TCU obviously gave Texas's offense a lot of issues. And Quinn Ewers has kind of been one of those guys where he's had some really good moments, but he's had some moments where he'll go, you know, 17 for 39. And when you look at, at the conditions that we're expecting on Saturday in terms of it being a cold day, probably being a windy day, all of those different things, is Kansas going to sit back in quarters like we've seen for so much of this year or do they go ahead and say, you know what, we're gonna we're gonna line up, we're gonna play maybe a little bit more aggressively, and and if Quinn can get us over the can get us over the top, you know, tip the cap, they're they're gonna win that game. But if he can't, you know, maybe Kansas has a has a chance to hold Texas down a little bit, and and obviously in addition to all that, you you know your main guy that you're fearing in that Texas offense is Bijan Robinson, and so. Maybe that allows you to get an extra guy in the box or two and and just sort of dare them to make that play over the top. I don't necessarily know that they'll do that just because that hasn't been who Kansas has been all year. They've been more of a, hey, you know, we're not going to allow explosive plays, but if we can get them to, to have a 12-play drive, a 15-play drive, there's a chance that they're going to mess up. And so I do think that's one of the things that's really interesting to me as well as, as Jalen's potential return is, you know, is this one of those games where Quinn Ewers looks like a first-round pick, or is it one of those games where you just can't quite get on track it, and that gives Kansas a, a chance to, to keep up a little bit? It's, I do think Kansas has a chance in this thing, but there are a lot of moving wheels there for sure. Around the Big 12, obviously the big one this week is TCU at Baylor just for the sake of TCU trying to make the playoffs. I've, I've asked this question each of the last few weeks. I'm going to ask it again because, once again, we do have new data. Like this week, we, we head into it with the Pac-12 cannibalizing it, each other after last week. Obviously, USC still has the one loss, but they have a tough schedule to finish with UCLA, Notre Dame, and then possibly the Pac-12 championship. So I'm going to ask one more time. If TCU loses close this Saturday to Baylor – and then wins the final two games over, I think, West Virginia and then the Big 12 title. Do they make the playoff? I don't think so. And I think a big part of the reason you have the Pac-12 team, but even beyond that, you're going to have the winner of a, you're going to have the loser of Ohio State, Michigan. And while, you know, the committee has typically said, hey, we like conference champions, I think that's really going to be tested this year because of the whole SEC situation. I mean, we all think that, hey, Georgia's probably going to win the title, and that may well be the case. But if LSU wins that thing, then you have LSU as the SEC champion, but with two losses, with one of them coming in the season opener against Florida State. You have LSU with a bad loss to Tennessee, where Tennessee you know, really went up and down the field on them. You have Tennessee with a bad loss to Georgia, and then if you had LSU beating Georgia and having the SEC title game, are they really going to wait that over LSU having that second loss? And so I think you're looking at two SEC teams pretty much regardless. I think you're looking at whoever is the Ohio State-Michigan winner is in pretty much regardless. And then after that, you know, TCU is 
is kind of in that discussion, but you give TCU that loss, I think you're putting TCU in a spot where even as Big 12 champion, the committee can look at it and say, well, let's say Michigan lost to Ohio State. Michigan's only loss this year was to Ohio State, particularly if that's a close game. Then you're sitting there and saying, do we really think that, that TCU is better than Michigan? Because the committee's the committee's different things that they look at have changed all along, but they've always said we want to pick the best four teams, not necessarily the four most deserving teams. And so while TCU would have that Big 12 title on their resume, if they've got one loss and Michigan has one loss, I think they're going to look at it and say, well, Michigan is the better team, even if maybe it isn't the more deserving team. He is Kevin Flaherty. You can check out all his work at 24-7 Sports and with CBS Sports. Kevin, appreciate the time as always. Have a good rest of your week. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. All right. That's Kevin Flaherty. Always does great work. 24-7 Sports, CBS Sports. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Two hours down, one to go. We got a KU defensive notebook and some audio coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. This is RCST. 5 o'clock hour. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson, and coming up at 6 o'clock, we'll have Hawk Talk, but in the meantime, we're going to be recording live out at Burgers by Biggs on the corner of Wakarusa and Bob Billings for our next edition of High School Sports Weekly. Then you can hear it on the radio at 7, but you can always stop by and watch the live show. We've got a loudspeaker there. You can try some of the great burgers or chicken or uh, whatever it is that uh, tickles your fancy at uh, Burgers by Biggs. Okay, we... Uh, Took a day in between, but now we finally get to our KU defensive notebook here. And the first note that I had jotted down for the game against Texas Tech, just a bad start once again. Now, you actually brought up yesterday, I think it was, that yep. um, it's in, happened less than you think where they've given up a score on their opening drive. Yeah, a touchdown. I think mm-hmm. in terms of like teams getting the ball and driving down the field for a touchdown on their first drive, it's only happened twice in Big 12 play. West Virginia and Oklahoma, I believe, were the only two. Baylor scored, but I think we, as we talked about it, it was off of a fumble, so I don't know how much you want to count that. But TCU didn't score. Iowa State didn't score. Uh, who am I missing here? TCU, Iowa State. Uh, Texas uh, Oklahoma Tech. State did not score. Did you count Texas Tech, though? Texas Tech scored, so yeah. So, okay, oh, so, so Oklahoma, West Virginia, Texas Tech. Those three scored. TCU, Iowa State, Oklahoma State did not score. And then, and then Baylor's the kind of Baylor one area. is kind of like okay, yeah. Um, I mean, so still, so I mean, if you look at it that way, I guess we're talking fifty-fifty yeah. of giving up touchdowns. But that's drives. just the first drive. If we just viewed it as bad starts, it would get yeah. expanded, right? Because a little bit, yeah. Um, and and also like if you if you added on the Houston game, like they scored on their first drive, we just didn't yeah, count they, that to Big Twelve yeah, they, play, right? The Houston and West Virginia. I can't remember games if Duke did or not. Were obviously bad starts, mm-hmm. but the but they were bad starts. As a whole, Correct. for everybody, it wasn't Correct. just the defense. Yeah, um, so it is on everyone. You're right in that regard, but uh, it certainly seems like the defense is. I don't know. They they found themselves in a lot of fourteen nothing, twenty four seven to yeah. Texas Tech, twenty eight to three to Baylor. Like they found themselves in a lot of holes. It has felt like earlier in the season they did a really good job of kind of recovering that. We didn't really see a recovery per se uh, in the Texas Tech game, right? Like they kind of continued to flounder yeah. throughout the game. You know, you, you think about the Houston game, they really locked him down in the second half. West Virginia, same deal, pretty much locked him down in the second half after a bad first half. Even Baylor, you look at the Baylor game, they were pretty good in the second half. 
and but and against Texas Tech that that kind of wasn't really the case. Yeah, well, I mean, back to the uh, run defense roller coaster because first five weeks back, next three <laughs> weeks not back against Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, State back kind of back, and now back this week after Texas Tech to not back. being bad. Yeah, back to being bad. <laughs> So where are we at for the Texas game? Because they got Bijan Robinson, Roshan Johnson yeah. is a pretty good backup too. They're, yeah. they're actually their offensive line, like their blocking grades on on run blocking are actually bad. But Bijan Robinson is just like that good that it just kind of doesn't matter. Yeah, and I mean I don't really I can't really figure out how to quite quantify the Texas Tech game. I I think the best kind of parallel to it you could compare it was Houston, where Clayton Toon also was scrambling a lot and getting a lot of yards. But I think the difference was in the Houston game. The traditional run game for Houston was not very successful, whereas for Texas Tech, they were very successful. So Roderick Thompson had a long touchdown run. Brooks had a lot of a lot of runs. I think he, I think he had six yards of carry, eleven carries, six six yards, something like that. So it so you had the issue of Tyler Shuck scrambling around, but then on top of that, the traditional run game was also having a lot of success for Texas Tech. Whereas when I thought back to the Houston game, which was the game that I was kind of trying to find a comparison to, because the Houston game was similar in that. You felt like your coverage was pretty good, but Toon was scrambling for yards a lot of times. But again, the traditional run game for Houston in that game was not as good as it was as it, as Texas Tech was this past week. So, when you look at that, run defense, bad. Yep, but I guess there's not a ton we can draw from, because it has been, it, it's like changed game to game or whatnot. So I, yeah, it's been up and down. I guess I and again, stat-wise, Texas Tech's run game was no better than Oklahoma State's on the stat sheet. If you just look at the numbers on, if you just look at the numbers, they were no no better than Oklahoma State, but they had a lot. They were much more effective on the field, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I uh, I wonder how much of it too is just like the missed tackles, and and I don't know what to do with that. Um, like, it, are you missing tackles because you don't have as good of athletes as the opposition, and so like they're just able to break tackles? Are you missing ath- or, or are you missing tackles because? I mean, I don't. I don't think you and I. I don't think you or I think that Texas Tech has better athletes than Kansas. No, we? no, that's a, that's a good point. Or like, that much would, better. It would make sense in like the Oklahoma game, right? Or it makes sense in the like when you're playing Texas this week because Bijan Robinson just makes you miss a, a bunch of tackles. But yeah. like, I don't know what because they missed 21 tackles in that game. So is that just like they weren't like I hate to say this because it, it makes it sound like they didn't do enough to prepare or something, and that's not what I'm insinuating. But like. Yeah. Were they just not ready for game time? You know what I mean? Or, or or was it just maybe they have trouble tackling like big people? You know what I mean? Like Tyler <laughs> Shuck is a big, big person, right? He's like 6'5", 6'6", 240 pounds. Like you yeah. said, there were other players who uh, were key to their running game and whatnot. But like that's been something that's been inconsistent for this team this year too, the the missed tackles. <laughs> and their worst games have been the ones where they don't tackle. The, the better games for them have been the ones where they do. And it makes sense, right? Yeah. If you're a defense that – is kind of built on um, making opportunistic plays and basically being a bend-don't-break defense, then basically you're reliant on the other team having to have long drives up and down the field. You need to make them have 10, 12-play drives because over the course of time, the more plays you make them run, hypothetically in a drive, the more chances you have to possibly come up with an interception or have them fumble the football or for them to make a mistake or you to have a kind of back-breaking play for their end. And so if you're making tackles, you're going to make them go the length of the field because they're not going to be bursting off big plays. Like a four-yard pass is going to be a five-yard pass instead of one where he breaks tackles and it's a 15-yard pass, right? Whereas if you're missing tackles, that's going to lead to the explosive plays. 
and you missed 21 tackles against Texas Tech. Um, I'm going through the numbers right now. Like here are some of KU's games in terms of um, their tackling numbers by or, or missed tackles by game. So the first game in the FCS game against uh, Tennessee, I don't even remember what it Tennessee was at Tech. this point. Was it Tennessee Tech? Okay, uh, they missed six tackles. Then against uh, West Virginia in Week Two, they missed eight tackles. So not a bad number. Okay, yeah. They missed twelve against Houston, which is a little bit of a higher number, but not like. One of, I mean, it's it's. There's one, two, three, four games worse than that for them this year. Uh, the Duke <laughs> game, they only missed four tackles. Okay, there we go. The which maybe that would go in theory with the the athlete thing because you don't think of Duke as having like these great athletes. I don't know. Uh, then you only missed seven the next week against Iowa State. That was your you know best defensive game. That's yep. a good tackling game. Yep. But then you go to the TCU game. You missed 15 tackles. You got torched in the second half. Game after that, you missed 14 tackles against Oklahoma. You got torched. Game after that, you missed 14 tackles against Baylor. You get torched. Game after that, Oklahoma State, you missed 10 tackles. And that was one of your better defensive games. And then 21 against Texas Tech. So I, I don't even know because I can't, like, predict. I can't sit here and be like, yes, they will or won't be a good tackling team on Saturday. But that's the key to them doing well. Yeah, I think what's most frustrating about the, the Texas Tech game is is kind of like you were touching on where if you're going to be a defense that is going to give up a lot of yards. Like if that if like if you're just going to give up a lot of yards as a defense, you need to be either one of two things. Either one, you need to be a defense that's opportunistic and can force turnovers, or two, you need to be that bend don't break that you're talking about. You need to be able to force field goals, right? Well, KU didn't do either of those things against Texas Tech, right? And what's frustrating about that is Texas Tech came into that game having thrown the most interceptions in the Big 12, right? And and you've got Kobe Bryant who we assume is a very very uh, ball hawking corner who can make plays. And you got Melo Dotson who's had who's had an interception in the past couple games, right? Like, like you sh- that's something you should be able to take advantage of, I think, right? And 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 again, if you're going to be a defense that's going to give up a lot of yards, you need to be one of those two things. Otherwise, you're just going to give up a lot of points, which is what happened against Texas Tech, right? So if you if you give up a lot of yards and you break every time, you can't stop them for a field goal and you can't force turnovers you're going to have a bad time on defense. And that's what we saw against Texas Tech was Kansas was giving up a lot of yards. They struggled in the run game. And on top of that, they couldn't get turnovers and they couldn't get off the field either. So those the combination of those three things is going to equal a lot of success for the team and it's going to put a lot of pressure on your offense. And that's what happened against Texas Tech is, is Texas Tech was able to force a couple key turnovers for Kansas, right? One of them directly led to a field goal at the end of the first half and the other one effectively ended the game on Bean's fumble, right? Kansas defense unable to do that. Yeah. Well, it should be uh, colder weather in this game on Saturday, so that physicality aspect becomes even more important. Like, maybe there is more running plays in the game on Saturday. Uh, Quinn Ewers, as as much as Tech has thrown more picks than Texas, will put a couple balls up for grabs. So you're going to have those opportunities this week. Tackle Bijan Robinson. That is the name of the game (laughs) for the KU defense. Uh, A game that has not gone very well for a lot of defenses, but just just do an okay job at it. Just don't get torched. Don't give up, you know, 300 total yards, 250 yards to Bijan and have him just dominate the game. All right, this is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. That's our KU defensive notebook with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. We're going to take a timeout. When we come back, we've got some player audio from Kenny Logan. Uh, we've also got some from Sam Burt, who's celebrating senior day. And uh, we also have some more player audio. By the way, I wanted to make a quick note of this. Jason Bean will be going through senior day activities for KU in this game. He does technically have another year of play. That doesn't necessarily mean that he's gone. There were actually a couple players last year who went through senior day activities and then decided to come back for that extra year this season. Uh, But 
I don't know. You can read into it what you will. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it.